Alright, hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Gaming Dadcast. I'm Michael Bowerman. Welcome. Uh, I decided to make this podcast just because I wanted to talk about stuff. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, what I hope to do for each one of these episodes is the general format, at least for now, is highlight a game soundtrack that, you know, it, it could be a newer game. Um, in today's episode, both of these games are newer within the last year. Um, could be a newer game, could be an older game, all different platforms, just some kind of highlighted soundtrack from a game, something that really stuck with me and kind of along the same line. Uh, also next highlight a game that I want to talk about and explain why, why I liked it so much and why it left its mark on me. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a game of the year or anything like that. It just means I really enjoyed it. And it, it left its mark on me. So, like, it, it impressed me in some way. And then, at the end, I want to talk about a, uh, you know, gaming-related topic. More more along the lines of, like, looking at players, developers, gaming companies, you know, looking at the human aspect in the gaming world and talk about that. So, for today, the lineup we've got is Death's Door as the highlighted soundtrack. We've got Metroid Dread as the highlighted game. And for our topic, I wanted to talk about Gaming Glut, the cult of backlog. And, you know, kind of go go from there and, and, and talk about that. I feel like a lot of people that play a lot of games, I feel like they're going to really relate to, to that topic. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. Now, I almost switched that topic to, uh, as of today, the recording of this episode, it was announced that Microsoft had just bought Activision Blizzard, and I have some feelings and thoughts on that and opinions, and I decided to wait because I want to think on it. I want to, you know, stew on it a little bit before I go and talk about it and really look at the whole picture and see over the next week, you know, how it turns out. So anyway, all that being said, let's jump right into it. So, so let's jump into Death's Door. So... Before I get into the soundtrack, I got to talk about what this game is. This is a, uh, it's not completely top down. So looking from the top, looking down, it's kind of at an angle. Um, I believe they call them isometric games where it's like at an angle. So it's tilted, but also turned a little bit. So the, the world is kind of a little bit on an axis. And you play as a crow and crows in this world are reapers. And what they do is they go and they reap souls of the life that are that's in this world. Now, it's not realistic as in like you're going against, you know, human beings. Uh, some of the characters kind of look human-like. Um, for instance, the first boss soul, the giant soul that you have to get, is called the Urn Witch. And if you look at the cover art for the game, um, the Urn Witch is right there. And for whatever reason, the, desi- the art in this game... Um, uh, well, specifically the bosses kind of reminds me of like a Miyazaki films and specifically like the Urn Witch reminds me of, I think it was Spirited Away where there was that, um, it could have been Howl's Moving Castle too had someone similar, but there's like this old grandma, older grandma looking lady who's really short, really large, just all around, just like big and has this giant nose, but that kind of look of like just very... Everything is very exaggerated, and this the Urn Witch is very large. So it, anyway, all that being said, you're a crow, 
you you have weapons like swords and hammers and things like that um and you fight these various creatures that are trying to take you down because they don't want to die and then the giants don't want to die either and you're there to reap their souls because your boss told you so and <clears throat> so now you know like all that being said it kind of paints a picture and you have an expectation of the soundtrack like oh okay so it's not you know maybe it's not necessarily it's not a fast game necessarily but it's high energy it's it's <clears throat> you know you're you're fighting it's an action game right and the music when i first heard it it was so not what i expected so jarring that i i actually was like ooh i don't like this what's going on it didn't jive with me at first cuz i just didn't get what was going on and the more that i played oh my gosh it just blew me away and it's music that's just it is so so good and i think that juxtaposition of you know like i said it's not a fast paced game but it is a high energy game and you are it's it's action you know you are fighting you're taking creatures out you know you're moving along there's a role mechanic there's all sorts of things <clears throat> and the music on, on you know largely is very like piano driven um in fact the there's a heavy emphasis on piano riffs and i gotta say it's it's excellent and i didn't think that it would work with the game and it really does it's just the right amount of calming and and high energy and, and that's what's weird about this so it flows i think what makes it work it was jarring at first because i didn't expect it and after a short period of time just instantly fell in love with the soundtrack and i think the reason why is because it flows so well with the game so like each area's music so there are areas that you go through navigate to to get to each of the bosses very standard stuff with you know with games um but each area's music is somehow soothing i guess you'd say soothing without being boring or sleep inducing uh it's not like oh man yeah i'm all pumped up and you know plow through all these creatures get to the the boss soul it's really relaxing as weird as that sounds and then you get to the boss battles and it's still not, you know, crazy, but then it picks up and, and it becomes more frantic and urgent, but it's still not overbearing. And I think that right there is what really defines it, is that it's it doesn't stick out, but it also isn't boring. It isn't sleep-inducing. It isn't uh, just so far in the background that it's like Muzak, right? Um, so, like... Uh, for an example, so I'd be playing the game, and it's it's almost like it becomes subliminal, like this weird subliminal, like I'm going to make you think about this music after you're done playing. So I'd be playing, and, you know, I would hear the, like, I'd notice the music every now and then, but I really didn't pay attention to it. And then I'd realize, like, you know, like I was in one of the boss battles, and I'm on the verge of dying and I'm like, why am I so like, I'm, I'm like on the edge, like, ah, you know, like palms sweating, I'm like, ah, I got to do this. And I'm thinking to myself, like, why, why? And it's because the music had picked up just enough, but it wasn't sticking out so much that it, it 
took me away from the gameplay and distracted me. It just emphasized the gameplay. And so, like, I'd be playing, and I'd put it down, and then I'd be, you know, go do something else. And in the back of my mind, I'd hear that music playing. And it just really left its mark on me because it just, it was so subliminal. It was so just not in your face while you play, but then, like, you'd think about it afterwards. And if you just go listen to the audio of the, the, the music in the game... Oh my goodness, it is just so good. Like I said, very piano heavy. Um, it's calming and soothing while somehow still being high energy. And it really fits with the game, oddly enough. Uh, it's one of those things that you almost have to experience to really understand it. So that's I, I kind of wanted to talk about that this week. So that that game came out last year and actually may have come out a little bit earlier, but... I just picked it up for uh, Nintendo Switch, played it on there, played handheld, played on the, the dock, and man, I, I gotta say, you know, it's great. It's on multiple platforms. I highly recommend it, and at the very least, go check out the soundtrack for that game. Excellent stuff. All right, now next up, I want to talk about a game. Now, this game released eh, later last year, and... It revived a franchise, it kind of, you know, this is a franchise that just kind of woke up again, and in fact, this game has roots in, I believe it was 2012, 2011, I mean, it's been, actually, maybe even longer, um, it was hinted at, and then nothing ever came of it, and so people just thought, okay, well, maybe it was never an actual thing, and that is Metroid Dread, or Metroid 5. So Metroid Dread released on Nintendo Switch last year, and I've never been super into the 2D Metroid games. I just, you know, just have it, and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what it is, and in fact, my first real foray into the Metroid franchise was Metroid Prime when I got my, uh, <laughs> when I got my GameCube way after launch. I, I got my GameCube. I got Zelda Wind Waker, which, oh my goodness, what a fantastic game and Metroid Prime, and I played it, and I thought, what have I been missing, and so then I went back and tried to play, you know, like, uh, the original Metroid, because I, you know, like, I'm one of those people that's like, well, I gotta start from the beginning, and I gotta play it all, and it didn't really catch me, uh, I don't remember how I played Metroid, the, the first Metroid, uh, which came out on the NES, but I just, you know, it didn't click, and then I tried a little bit of Super Nintendo, or Super Metroid, yeah, still didn't click, but it was, I, I recognized that they were good games, it just wasn't for me, and as time went on, like, I started to really enjoy what, what are called Metroidvanias, okay, Metroidvanias are games that take heavy inspiration from a combination of two games, Metroid and Castlevania, hence the name, the, the nickname, the title, whatever you want to call it, Metroidvania, so a good example of a Metroidvania would be Hollow Knight, which is one of my favorite games of all time. Just a fantastic game all around. So as I got older, I started to really appreciate Metroidvanias. And so like, I kind of started to get back into Metroid. And I liked it. And then Metroid Dread came along. <clears throat> and what really sold me on the game was the aesthetic. Uh, I saw that it was 2D and I thought, oh, I kind of wish it would have been 3D. I don't know how successful this is going to be. 
but you know, whatever. I would like to see Metroid come back. It's kind of been dormant because it never really sold that well. This is not the way to go. But I'm going to try it because I love my Nintendo Switch. I love most Nintendo games, so why not, right? The aesthetic is what got me. Uh, it, it's. I wouldn't say that Dread is fully a horror. It's not a horror game. Uh, well, for sure not a horror game. I wouldn't say it's a sci-fi horror game. It kind of is. It has moments of sci-fi horror, I guess. Um, it's not really scary, but it has moments throughout that make it feel like more like a nightmare when you're running away from someone or a monster, whatever it is, right? You're running away from something that's get and it just you're no matter how fast you run, it's right there behind you. It's that feeling of you know, there's moments in this game that are like that, and towards the end, kind of disappears, and. It's because of the Emmys, which are these robot things that just track you down, won't let you go, they won't let you out of their sight, and they they will kill you instantly. You basically have one very small, tiny window to counter it, counter their attack, and, and if you don't counter it, then you are one hit killed. You're done, and you got to go back to the last checkpoint. So at, it's good to avoid these things and run away from these things. So I love the aesthetic, and I another part of that was was the color schemes, like very very heavy usage of red, black, and white, and that combination and the way you know mixed with the art style and everything else, and even like some of the filters that they'd put on in some of the uh, cutscenes and in some of the areas, it just made it look like a good sci-fi horror without being a sci-fi horror. So the game, I got to I mean, I'm not a huge visuals guy. I am a huge art design and art direction guy. And right from the get-go, the art direction, the art design and the aesthetic just grabbed my attention. I went, "Okay, well, you you have my attention. You you will get my attention. I will buy this game and I will try it out." And then I played it and I really just love I just love the color uh, the uh character designs and the creature designs and the environmental designs I just love all of the art direction and the designs in the game and so like the aforementioned aforementioned Emmys it, everything everything in the game even when it's not is very sci-fi horror feeling and it just adds to that aesthetic um and I think what kind of, you know, the uh, part of the reason of that, and I'll kind of get to that a little bit more in depth in a second here, is the shape of things. And I know that sounds weird, but I'll get to that in, in just a minute. Um, and before I get to that, I also want to point out that the music in the game, so we just got done talking about Death's Door and how awesome that soundtrack is. The soundtrack in Metroid Dread is not, I wouldn't say it's awesome. It's really good, but it's not like, oh my gosh, I these are just amazing. They get stuck in my head. But I don't think it needed to be for this game because it's going with that dread aesthetic, that dread gimmick, right? With the Emmys and the way everything looks and everything that the soundtrack is more just ambiance. You know, it's like a feel. It, it helps the game to 
feel more like a horror game, to feel a certain way. And, I mean, even the uh, the title screen music is more, like, there's definitely the, like, the Metroid theme song is there. But it's just got this really loud blaring, like, horn, like, like, the sci-fi noise that, like, you hear it mixed with the colors on the screen. You're like, ooh, what am I getting into here? So, again, the music is not standout, but it's just really, it's extremely moody um, and just adds a wonderful feel to the game. So, again, going into that aesthetic, right? So, so far, all I've talked about is the aesthetic, and I haven't even touched the gameplay, and now I want to highlight the gameplay along with the character and environmental designs. So... I got the special edition and after I beat the game, so I, I wanted to look at it right away, but I was like, I don't want to look at it in case something gets spoiled in there for some weird reason. It is a Metroid game, so it's not like super, super story driven, but this one actually has quite a bit of story elements, which is surprising and really cool, but uh, I didn't look at it just for spoiler's sake. And then I beat the game. And as soon as I beat the game, I just looked at the art book that came with the special edition for probably at least an hour, maybe more. I just sat there and just was looking at things, look at the, looking at these drawings, the, the renderings they did, how they designed things, seeing the uh, evolution of some of these ki- these designs. And I noticed that like everything has a very round aesthetic to it. And... I was wondering about that. I thought, like, that's really interesting. You know, like, obviously, uh, you look at Samus. Her her helmet is very round. It's got a round top. The sides, like the little vents or whatever those are, very rounded. The the giant sho- the giant shoulder pads, the circular shoulder sho- shoulder pads. There, uh, everything is very round. There's a couple of you know points on her suit, uh, and, like flat ends, but it's all very you know forms to her body. It really seems like. A lot of round edges, right? You look at the Emmys, giant round circle, you know, a single eyeball, basically, you know, that that uh, looks at you, and just all of the edges. It's it's not, it's it doesn't have harsh points or really sharp edges. It just everything looks very round. A lot of the creatures, you know, some of them bubble up and they got these giant bellies. Some of the bosses, which I won't go into in case you've you know you've been living under a rock and you know nothing about this game and you haven't seen Nintendo's posts, you know, showing some of the bosses. But, you know, a lot of the bosses, a lot of round edges. Some of them are just round in general. Uh, and I was, I just noticed that and I thought like, man, I, you know, everything that I've talked about so far, the the color schemes, the red, blacks, and whites, the, uh, the music, how it's just really moody. It's not really, you know, a soundtrack. Like, it's not really music. It's just like creates a, and an ambiance, a feel to the game. Everything has been very horror-like, very horror-esque. And these round edges don't really do that. Like, you would think with, at least I would think with a, with a sci-fi horror game or a horror game, you know, like sharp edges, pointy edges, flat edges, you know, things that are jarring. You look at them and it's like, ooh, that makes me feel uncomfortable, right? Why is it round? And then it made me realize something. And now, now we get to the gameplay. A lot of these designs really draw you to do things in the game. And what I mean by that is 
So, okay, there was a there was a recent controversy, and I, I told myself I wasn't going to bring this up, but darn it, I'm going to bring it up, where I, I'm not even going to go into names or anything like that, but uh, a pretty well-known dude was playing Metroid Dread and got stuck, and when I think he was doing it live and chat was like, dude, just shoot up there, shoot at the ceiling, right, and he did and complained about, oh, this is just bad design, I would have never known that. And as I played, I I cannot tell you that I disagree anymore. I, I like there's no way that I could disagree more with that statement. All of the character designs, all of the creature designs, all of the environmental designs in this game. Now, there are some areas that are really well hidden, but there there are always ways to find those. But a lot of them draw you to go a certain way. So, for instance, you know, I would see a creature and I would go to shoot it right before it would attack me because another thing about this game which I'll get to shortly is it's it's difficult and these these creatures can can and will kill you pretty quickly if you're not careful so I would shoot it and as I shot the uh not feedback what am I looking for the the area would kind of explode from the the rockets fired or the 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 photon blast or whatever and it would open up like it would reveal some blocks and be like, wait, what is that? That's a secret. Wait, what is that symbol? Would not know what the symbol is. It would be colored. It would have a design on it and be like, I don't know what that is, but that's a secret. That There's going to be something I pick up later. I better remember that. And then the map also remembers those areas that you, as long as you uncover it. And so the game, all of these round edges, all of these things, all of these designs really draw you into one explore and you explore naturally uh kind of reminded me as weird as it sounds like zelda breath of the wild where it's just like a natural exploration not go to point a from point b and deliver this thing it's just very like hey it's over here you know go check it out and you find things naturally not everybody finds them the same way um but it's generally the same and so i found that these designs did that and the roundness helped make the gameplay which is fast and the the game uh the mechanics are just incredibly tight it's really really well done it maybe takes you about 10 minutes to get used to it and once you do it's like you're zipping around the map uh it, it just lends into exploration and this fluidity uh just movement keep on moving keep on keep on trucking through the map you know keep on exploring keep on going and it all really blends in and moves along with the game. And those round edges, that fluidity, that ga- that tight gameplay, uh, the the way that Samus handles, you know, as you're playing on a controller, all bodes well with the horror aspect when one of those Emmys, you go into an Emmy zone, and one of those Emmys just starts tracking you down. And you feel the you feel the horror aspect by the visuals and the music. But you're also kind of like given like, look, the power is in your hands. You can't kill the Emmy right away. There are ways that you can learn how to kill them, which I'm not going to go into. But you can't kill them, okay? All you can do is run away or maybe escape if they catch you. Like, you can counter it, maybe. But it really puts the power in your hands, the player's hand, to like, look, this is, oh gosh, this is right behind you. It's going to get you. 
but you are the one doing it. You can do this. And it really encourages the player to do that stuff. And then also, like I said before, it all of these designs, all of the map, the way the map is uh, done, which isn't perfect, but it's, it's pretty darn good, all encourages exploration. And normally, like a lot of the time, this is why I don't play a whole lot of open world games anymore is because they're just time sinks for the sake of being a time sink. Um, but it's a shorter game. So I think I've completed it 100%, like 100, 100%, like got everything in my first playthrough. I want to say it was 15 or 16 hours. You can beat the game in like 10 hours or less. Like just go beat the game if you're not getting everything. I got everything on the map, 100%. But because of that length, it gives you a couple of uh, uh, feelings of like accomplishment, right? So you, you know, you beat a game. That's awesome. You know, especially if you're, you're like me, you got two kids, uh, you like to hang out with them. Uh, you like to, you like to hang out with your family. <laughs> uh, you do other things like podcasts or if you stream, uh, I work, you know, 10 hour days, you know, things like I, I got stuff to do, you know, I got stuff around the house to do. I mean, if you're a parent, if you're an adult, if you go to college, if you do anything, you understand, like I got, I got things I got to do. Right. So having a 60 plus hour game isn't always a great thing. And it's nice to just be able to finish that. It also encourages, because of that shorter time and the way that everything plays and looks and feels, it, it's encouraging, at least it was for me, to do multiple playthroughs so you get more replayability. And, uh, you know, like good for speedrunning, right, if you want to get into that. I feel like this would be a nice game to figure out the strats, get into, and, you know, really jump into that world of speedrunning. So, really great game. Oh, and one final thing, man. So I got a Switch OLED because I suck and I just get all these things because I love this stuff. Um, I got a Switch OLED. I was not going to get it eventually because I was so cranky because it wasn't a Switch Pro. Then I changed my mind and let let me tell you, that OLED, I can't go back, man. I go back to LCD TVs and and screens and stuff and I'm like, wow, this is a big difference, man. And playing Metroid Dread on the OLED goodness it looks so good and it performs extremely well the designs there's enough diversity in all the different areas there's a there's enough color scheme so i said there's a heavy usage of red black and white that doesn't mean that's all it uses there are other areas in the game especially later on very not horror horror-esque um and it just looks and plays phenomenal on the switch 60 frames per second looks great the designs the it's like a 2.5 game 2.5d game i think is what they call them where it's like it is a 2d game but there's a lot of depth going on in the background uh and in the foreground too so just really really good game so i mean i'll I'll wrap it up i'm just gonna start rambling on and on about metroid dread but i i really highly recommend it so if you have a switch you haven't played it yet and if you haven't played a metroid game you don't need to know the other ones. It does this really nice recap at the beginning of the game to catch you up to speed as much as you need to as far as the story goes. Looks and plays great. The designs and the aesthetic are the key here. Man, the, the, it, it just 
it is a delight to look at and experience. And it's something that you just got, like, you just got to experience it until you play it. Um, a word of warning. I said it earlier. It is difficult, even on normal. It's, and I don't think there's an easier mode. I think normal is the base. It is difficult. Uh, as time went on, I found it not as difficult until that final boss, which whooped my butt multiple times until I finally got it. But it's difficult. And get used to using a counter. Really, really, it's not the focus of the game, but it really, really helps. So there it is, Metroid Dread. Can't recommend it enough. All about the aesthetics. All right, and on to the final topic that I want to talk about today. If you're still around, I just got to say thanks for hanging around. I didn't expect anybody to hang around this long. You are a trooper, and I appreciate you. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about this thing that I like to call gaming glut, like G-L-U-T, short for gluttony. And, you know, I I titled this section Gaming Glut, The Cult of Backlog, uh, partially because I'm, I'm a wrestling goober. And, you know, I I love CM Punk's uh, intro songs, you know, Cult of Personality. And so I just thought of that, and I was like, I like that, the Cult of Backlog. Anyway, so Gaming Glut. Uh, It's it's something like, uh, well, I kind of talked about it with Metroid Dread, okay, with the length of the game, right? It seems like so many games these days are expected to and are just extremely long to play and complete. Like, if you look back at older games, you know, a lot of the the younger generations of gaming consoles and games, not very long. You know, like, they were pretty, pretty short games, especially compared to today's standards. And, you know, like, I, I look at that and I, I think, Why? Because this also feeds into another problem. That's the gaming glut that I'm talking about here. So so let me ask. How much time do you have for games? You know, I know that that answer is going to vary drastically. And I only, right now, I only have one perspective, right? Because I'm at a different life, you know, point in my life from ev- any, any of you listeners, anybody in this world, right? Everybody's different, okay? We can be in the same realm and we can understand maybe... But our perspectives, you know, as we go through life, it's, uh, they're different. And so, you know, like, how much time do you have for games? Here I am, so I've worked today. And then I started recording this podcast. I have not played a single game. I'm going to go to do a family night, right? With, you know, after as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to go do a family night, hang out with family, eat dinner. I'm going to have chili beans tonight. It's going to be delicious. Yum. Um... And, you know, we do all that stuff. We're going to get home. I'm going to make lunches for my boys for tomorrow and get them all ready, hang out with them a little bit. And by the time I stop and slow down and I can play a game, it's 9 o'clock. And I'm a night owl, but I'm trying to I'm trying to make myself go to sleep at about 11, 11 latest 11.30 these days. I'm trying. So I got, like, what, a couple hours a day? And that's if I'm in the mood. Make me, sometimes I'm just like, I just want to put something on, turn off my brain. As much as I love games. And sometimes I'll watch a show with my wife. You know, like, how much time do you have for games? And it feels like these games are just too big. So the question is, 
are games too long? Are they too big? Are they too full of just bloated filler, right? And I want to look at kind of multiple aspects of this. So let's let's go for okay. Well, let's let's do pro length here. Uh, games are getting more expensive. So Switch games, not so much. They're staying about the same, but they have grown since the 3DS, right? And the Switch is a handheld, and the 3DS had forty dollars games, and now they're full on sixty dollars games. Look at the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, or the the current gen. I I, get, I almost said next gen, but it's not really next gen. It's current. They're $70, and it's moving up. So you look at that, and you go, well, you're having more bang for your buck, right? You pay $70, and you get 500 hours in this game. And you look at that and go, oh, I'm getting bang for my buck. But are you, though? Like, uh, you know, like, I see that on one aspect, right? You think about it. Oh, well, why would I go to a movie theater and pay $25 for one ticket in a soda and I have to sit in a room with a bunch of other people and little kids running, you know, teenagers running up and down and people coughing all over each other and all sorts of stuff and watch this movie for a couple of hours. Or I can get a streaming service, pay, a, you know, what, a, I don't know, 70 bucks a year, and now I can watch all these movies in the comfort of my own home, right? Or pay 20 bucks and watch it in the comfort of my home for a couple days so I could watch it multiple times right I have a certain amount of time to watch it or I can you know so with games they're all priced differently right and you look at these triple a the, the big games that are costing 60 70 dollars and you think well I want the most amount of game for that money and especially if you only have a couple of hours a day to play well you buy one game you spend 70 dollars and maybe that lasts you for months but the problem is that gaming glut. I feel like a lot of people get more and get more and get more. And they create what I like to call the backlog, the cult of backlog. And I got one. So here I am talking about it and talking about like, man, are backlogs so good? You know, like, are they that great? I got a giant backlog. Uh, I was an idiot and there were a couple sales, which we're going to get to that point here soon. There are a couple sales in December, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get this game. I got a couple games on, I got a game for my PS5, got a game for my uh, Series X, I got a couple games for my Switch. I thought, you know, games don't really release January, February, March. They usually start to pick up April, May, kind of, and then summertime, and then end of year, right? Oh, wrong. Everything got delayed, and now we got so many games coming out in February and March that I just looked at and went, wow, I got all these games for super cheap, and now they're just going to sit on my backlog. So, the length of these games. So, I played Death's Door. I beat Death's Door because it's a shorter game. I played Metroid Dread last year. Beat Metroid Dread because it's a shorter game. You know, I'm, I'm be able to play through these games and get through them. And then I've got games like Lost Judgment and Guardians of the Galaxy where I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> these are... And Guardians of the Galaxy isn't even that long, you know, like comparatively. And you got these other RPGs, you know, like I played Shimigami Tensei Five, Loved it. And I put way too much time... <laughs> that game but I loved it um and so you know it just leaves me questioning you know, like backlogs what's up with those things right yeah I feel like a lot of people have them and especially when you get things like um I, I think what doesn't help are sales of these games so here you've got longer games 
like these games that take so much lo- longer to complete. And if you're like me, it's like, I got to complete it. I got to get the most out of this game. So I got to go find these stupid little artifacts all over the map. But I got to collect them all. And I got to do this stuff. And I got to get all the trophies and the achievements and all this. Because I'm just weird like that. And I recognize that's a me thing. But I feel like there are others out there like that. Maybe maybe you're one of them. You're not alone. Um, but those sales, you know, we... Oh, how can I pass up Saints Row 4 on the Switch for $3? Well, sure, I'll get it. And we just add more to that backlog, add more to that glut. Um, And it really, like the other day, I was really thinking about this. So like when I was younger um, and games were much younger, the gaming industry was just much younger. Anyone who had like a Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis or even, even going into like, Nintendo 64, PlayStation has started to kind of really open up, right? Um, basically, like, if you had one of those, like, you probably all, we all played the same games. Like, everybody was playing GoldenEye, or everybody was playing Super Mario World. Everybody was playing, you know, even the, the terrible ones, you know, like, uh, what was that Simpsons game on the Super Nintendo that I played so much? But I feel like, you know, there are other people who'd be like, I know that one where you play as Krusty the Clown, and there's rats and stuff, and it's like a puzzle game kind of uh, I can't remember the name of it, but you know, like we all, I feel like a lot of the older generation of gamers played a lot of the same stuff. Nowadays, there's so much to choose from. There is so much. There's all sorts of racing games, fighting games, action games, adventure games, puzzle games, platforming games, like, and then there's just like variances on all of those. And there's big games, little games, medium-sized games. It's just like, you know, like back in the day, it was like 10 games releasing per year. And now there's 10 games releasing, you know, per half day. It's just crazy how much there is. And I don't know if you're like me. And, and by the way, I'm speaking on all this because this is something I've been thinking about and that I it has affected me, right? So I'm not like pointing the finger at others and saying, how dare you, you, you and your backlogs. I got one, okay? So it's not that it's more like pointing the finger at me. Uh, but, you know, I look at these and it, it's like that, that, what do they call it? FOMO, fear of missing out, uh, where, you know, like, oh gosh, I got this. I really don't need to play this game, but man, I, you know, I got to complete this game still, but man, $4 for that game. And I was kind of mildly, in- even if I was mildly interested, I'm like, Ooh, you know, there was a uh, Nino Kuni recently on the Nintendo switch. $9.99 for Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch, okay? Uh, and I was like, oh, I really wanted to get a physical version of that game, but it was digital, but dang. And I was like, ah, but it's got problems. I don't know, maybe I want to try it. And, you know, I had people tell me, like, man, for that price, it's worth picking up. And that right there, that right there, it's just, oh, just one more, just one more. I don't need it, but just one more. And it makes me think, like, are we... So to, to kind of wrap this conversation up, and, and I don't have a definitive answer. Well, I have I have an answer that's kind of been working for me, but it's not really a definitive answer, definitive answer to clearing out a backlog and not getting into a backlog, right? And is that a bad thing or is that a good thing, right? Having options is, is, a, good, is a good thing, right? The question is, is are you completing your games that you play? Like, are you playing it and then just being like, oh, I'm done. And then you just kind of toss it aside. Um, or you really, you know, playing these games because they're works of 
I guess works of art, right? Like the, these compilations, these, these, these. I mean, really, they're masterpieces. Making games got to be tough. I could never make a game. Uh, but you know, are you completing your games? And it's tough because it's like everything in moderation here. When we were younger, like I had stated before, I feel like it's well. This is all we had to choose from. Now we have so much to choose from, and if you're like me, I'm a variety player. I play all sorts of games. I love all sorts of games. There's very few games that I'm just like, I will never try that genre. I don't like that. I don't like any of the games in that series. I try a lot of stuff. It's meant to be options. Like, oh, do I want a racing game? Do I want a fighting game? Do I want an action game? Or do I want an adventure game? I'm going to buy the adventure game. And then you just move on with your life, right? But for me, it's like, oh, that's on sale. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks great. I got to play it now. And then it's also the aspect of everybody's playing it. Oh, they're talking about it. Oh, it's great. I got to play it. You know, the the fear of missing out. And so what has really worked for me is I have, so I have, I I tried to get into PC gaming and I was kind of getting into it. I'm not opposed to it, but everything with these graphics cards, I just gave up. So Got a PS5, got an Xbox Series X, got my Switch. I have one game I'm playing on each. Now, I'm not talking about, like, the the multiplayer, like, oh, I'm just going to pick up and play a little couple games with friends or play by myself, like the, you know, Rocket Leagues and things like that. Um, right now, I'm playing through the Halo series on my Series X because it's on Game Pass. I've never played through all of them before, the campaigns. I'm having a lot more fun with it this time, and my son has decided, I'm going to play with you, so I've been waiting for him, right? So on my Series X right now, I am playing through the Halo games. I have Guardians of the Galaxy sitting there waiting for me. I've only just briefly looked at it and played it a little bit. I have Forza Horizon 5 that I kind of play every now and then, but that's more kind of like those multi uh, multiplayer games. I have all these other games that I could play, and there's, I mean, there's Game Pass. There's so many games just to add to the gaming glut, right? I'm playing the Halo series. I'm on Halo 3. We're almost at the end of Halo 3. On my PS5, I got Lost Judgment for Christmas. I have Death Stranding Director's Edition to play. I love Death Stranding. I played it on the PS4. got the upgrade for $10. Been wanting to replay Horizon uh, Zero Dawn in preparation for Forbidden West coming out next month. Nope. I am playing Lost Judgment. That is my PS5 game. When I turn it on, I play that. On my Switch, I beat Death's Door. So now I've moved on to Dying Light on switch which is excellent i'm limiting myself to it's one uh, depending on the system that i want to play i'm playing that game and it's kind of distracted me since then from getting other things from doing other things from adding to the glut and so it's worked for me so i you know what what do you think you know like you can you can um reach out to me you can talk you know if you're listening to this you can talk to me you can reach out to me uh interact with me uh, I'm on Twitter at Bauer Tendo. That is B O W E R T E N D O. You can interact with me, uh, you know, ho- however you need to. If you need, re- you know, via email, bowertendo at gmail.com. Uh, tell me, what do you think about gaming glut? Is it a pr- is it even a problem? Is it a problem? I, I you know, I kind of see it as a problem, but not really. Just nice to have options. Um, do you have a backlog? Maybe you don't have a backlog. If you don't, what's your secret? What are the methods that you like to do uh, to to utilize and get through your games, right? Not not have a backlog, not join the cult of backlog. 
All right, well, that's going to do it for today. Thanks for listening. I mean, you made it to the end. You know, kudos to you. Hands, hats off to you, man. You get a round of applause. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with me. Uh, this is the Gaming Dadcast, and I will catch you next time. Bye.